Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Gladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Enacting the Kingdom, and we are starting our new series on the lamplighting psalms. Father Jeffrey, what are the lamplighting psalms? Well, it's funny you should ask, because um, the lamplighting element really points us to the real heart or the core of the Vesper service. Uh, in the very early church, it was called the service of light. And you can imagine you know, this is the service that's done at the close of the day. And, you know, as the darkness is closing in, lamps are lit, you know, and we'll talk a lot about that in, in this series. Um, but in terms of um, this being, th- these being the lamp lighting psalms, essentially it has to do with the fact that it takes a while to light candles in a church. So you can imagine at the beginning of Esper's really only the lamps in front of the main icons on the icon on screen, um, possibly over the holy doors, the, the lights on the holy table itself are lit, but everything else is is dim. And it's at this point that uh, the Tipicon directs, you know, the you know, altar assistants, the, you know, the, to go around and light all of the candles, simply because they have to be lit by the time the psalms are over and all of the interspersed um hymnography is is over and you get into singing Fossilaron, the, the right, glad right. some light. So that's we'll talk about the actual light and the lamplighting later, but just they're called the lamplighting songs because this is when you need to start in order to be finished then. So arguably in the days of we that we have of electric lights with a flip of the switch, you know, you could leave the lamplighting for afterwards, so we could call these the evening psalms, but uh, we'll preserve that older uh, nomenclature, uh, recognizing that I think in a lot of our churches, we still have a lot of candles and, and oil lamps to light. Yeah, well, one of the struggles is that now with electric light, you could just flip a switch, boom, all the lights are on. That's right. Yeah. Um, so a little less, um, more dramatic in a way, but a little less, uh, you know, traditional to... Mm-hmm. So then the four psalms, so the lamplighting psalms are made up of four psalms, um, and and not four psalms in a row either. They seem to be just selected based on theme. Is that right? That's right. So, I mean, the first two are in a row, um, and we'll use the Septuagint numbering that we've been using. So if you're following in, you know, a lot of Bibles add one to these, but it starts with uh, Psalm 140, and then Psalm 141, and then we have Psalm 129, and then Psalm 116. So the first two, I'll say, are, are in a row, then we're back back a few psalms into one of the songs of ascent and then finally what what is actually the shortest psalm in the entire uh, collection is the the last one mm-hmm. uh before we move on uh the the thing that people are most familiar with if you go to church on a saturday evening for for great vespers on a saturday night 
I think most people would be familiar with the singing of the first couple verses of Psalm 140. Um, Lord, I call to you, hear me. I think people uh, would, that would be most familiar to people. So what I'd like to do right here is just stop for a second and we're going to play a clip of Peter Drobach, who is the choir director and cantor um, at your church, Father Jeffrey, Father uh, Holy uh, Murbearers in Toronto. Um, so yeah, we're going to play a clip of Peter singing those first few stanzas, the first few verses, and then we'll check back in after that. Lord, I call upon you, hear me, hear me, O Lord. Lord, I call upon you, hear me, receive the voice of my prayer. When I call upon you, hear me, O Lord. Let my prayer arise in your sight as incense, and let the lifting up of my hands be an evening sacrifice. Hear me, O Lord. So, Father Jeffrey, why do we only sing the first bit and then chant everything else or just read everything else. And and I know some churches even don't read the rest of the psalm. They just sing that little bit. That's right. In fact, in a lot of places where you're only experiencing, again, great Vespers, the, the Vespers on the eve of the Sunday, the resurrection service, um, or even great Vespers at feasts, it's relatively common to just sing the the first couple of verses and then skip to that point where you start to intersperse uh, the hymnography, the, the hymns of the day. Um, and, and those are even intoned, usually in the tone uh, of the week. So you, you would lose almost the sense in which these are psalms at all, right? You have an opening hymn called Lord I Call or Lord I Have Cried, depending on your translation. And then you just have these verses that you use in between the hymns of the day. And, and as I say, at a certain point, it stops even being, you know, recognizable as a psalm, let alone four psalms. Um, and so, I mean, this goes back to things we've talked about before, about uh, the different practices around uh, the use of psalms in liturgical worship, you know, in the desert, monastic practice. Uh, psalms tend to be used in their entirety. They tend to be chanted either in a monotone or read uh, meditatively, contemplatively. Um, whereas in the city practice, the parish or cathedral, uh, orientation of worship, things tend to get excerpted um, and sung uh, more with a melody uh, that people can remember. They often get turned into short hymns and with refrains and that sort of thing. One of the things that happens um, in cathedral practice is that um, refrain of um, Hear me, O Lord, which is something you heard in just in the in the singing of the opening couple of verses there, that can be actually taken up throughout the chanting, you know, of the psalm. And that would have been a 
fairly familiar part of cathedral practice or the city kind of orientation of worship where uh, little bits of psalms get used, they get sung, they get repeated as refrains and that sort of thing. So we have a, a vestige or, you know, a continuation rather of, of that practice um, you know, here, but on, in a more daily Vesper service, uh, yes, you still have the first couple of verses being sung, but then the rest of the Psalms tend to, to be used in their entirety. And you get more of a sense that you're dealing with psalmody. And then what breaks into that towards the end, um, usually on six verses in daily services, it could be eight uh, or 10 on festal services or on the eve of Sundays. Um, the, in the last 10, you get these hymns interspersed. But we'll talk more about that in, when we talk about the liturgical practices around uh, the lamplighting or evening psalms. Yeah, I'd like to maybe read this the first psalm of the lamplighting psalms to just pick out a couple of the themes that are in there. Um, so let's begin with uh, Psalm 140 uh, at verse number three there. I'll just read, it's quite short, I'll just read the, the psalm from verse three on. Um, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not turn my heart to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with those who work iniquity. Do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous strike me. Let the faithful correct me. Never let the oil of the wicked anoint my head, for my prayer is continually against their wicked deeds. When they are given over to those who shall condemn them, then they shall learn that my words were pleasant. Like a rock that one breaks apart and shatters on the land, so shall their bones be strewn at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes are turned toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. Keep me from the trap they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I alone escape. This seems to be connected very much with the first psalm of the book of Psalms that we sing on Saturday night. Uh, someone, uh, well, blessed is the man who um, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. That there's this call for us to make sure, I don't know how to say it, like to make sure we're hanging out with the right people or in the right atmosphere. Well, that's exactly it, right? I mean, this is, uh, I mean, it's often called a lament, but actually it's not really a lament so much as a kind of prayer for being preserved from, you know, bad peer pressure, um, as it were, you know, it's anticipating temptation. It's anticipating, you know, the kind of difficulties of life and struggles and so forth. And it, and it shows that there are these two ways, as you say, in Psalm 1, uh, you know, we saw that, that there's the way of the righteous and there's the way of the wicked. And there are consequences um, for one or another of those, you know, lifestyles. And there's a real awareness here of the difficulty that people of faith can have in, you know, kind of following the path of, of righteousness. It's so that the call here to God is not so much plaintive, um, but one of, you know, asking for protection and, and kind of ongoing awareness of where the traps, you know, kind of lie, um, in life. And in, in some ways, this is a kind of complete, uh, unfolding of that verse that we have in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or deliver us from evil. And, and you're right. It's about, you know, who am I going to hang out with? Right. It ends with, uh, you know, the, this, um, you know, escaping from the, the company of, of the evil ones and, and kind of desiring to be in the company of, of the righteous who's, anointing, you know, will be unto blessing, unto, unto a good 
path and a, a path towards holiness and the glory of God rather than, you know, all the kinds of uh, wicked consequences of hanging out with, with the evil ones. Mm-hmm. So the next psalm is 141. So immediately the next psalm, and it's often when you read it in church, you don't actually announce that you're doing your, a next psalm, right? It's not like you when you begin chanting, you say, Psalm 141, and then you begin. Uh, yeah, exactly. That. And in fact, you know, there is this consequence, I think, that um, the kind of more traditional lament that you get, both in this one and the one following, kind of gets read back into that first psalm. So as I say, we've, we've just said, it's not so much a prayer of, 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 of suffering as such, but a kind of anticipation of the difficulties of living, you know, a faithful life. Well, here we are more in the midst of persecution, right? And and so uh, the, by not making that distinction or even being aware that there are different psalms there, they can kind of mislead us a little bit into kind of what the, the psalms are, are about. But why don't you read this one too for us? And then sure. we can go on from there. With my voice, I cry to the Lord. With my voice, I make supplication to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit is faint, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look on my right hand and see, there is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for me. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Give heed to my cry, for I am brought very low. Save me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. Yeah, this one definitely has more of an air of lament. Um, it's lines like, uh, look on my right hand and see, there is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains for me. No one cares for me. That's right. And I mean, this can speak very deeply to us in our various human situations of suffering and of struggle and so forth. I mean, the wonderful thing about the Psalms, as we've said before, is we can connect with them at a, at a very deep level. So, you know, this is traditionally ascribed to David, you know, he's on the run, um, you know, before he is uh, finally made king, he's been anointed by Samuel, but, you know, Saul is still king and things are are, are not going well. He's hiding in a cave. And, and, and this is the kind of situation that we're talking about. There are, there's, this feeling of imprisonment in suffering. How will I get out of this? How, what is the way forward here? And yet, you know, as we've spoken about before with all of these, you know, Psalms, they land somewhere on that U shape, you know, of orientation to disorientation to reorientation. And the reorientation is, is where you want to get to, right? Cause it's even better than the kind of naive stance in the first place of being. Yeah. Can we give, can we give a quick recap of that U shape again? I think we've only talked about it once or twice before. Right. So, I mean, essentially, it literally picture a you, right? Uh, this is the pattern that uh, all of the narratives, all of the stories um, uh, in the Psalms, and, and indeed, all of the scriptures, you know, kind of represent. It's the fundamental pattern of every story, in a way, that we move from a place where... Um, you know, whether on a kind of small level or a large level, however you want to kind of scope it out, but uh, where things seem all right. And it's almost, it's a kind of naive place to be because we're not aware necessarily of the the dangers, the sufferings, the greater reality that, you know, that we face. So that psalm we just saw was more about, you know, 
I'm not suffering, and but I can anticipate it. So it wasn't so so naive a position. It's someone who'd already been through the process and seen how dark things can get, and is anticipating it happening again. Well, you know, starting from that point, and then you know, which is a position of some faith, but it's a kind of naive and simplistic faith. Right, everything's fine. God's in 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 on His throne. Uh, the world is ordered correctly. Everything you know is working out, and uh, you, we can maybe feel that way when when things are happy and are going our way and everything. Although, if we think a little bit harder about it, we know it's not quite so simplistic, right? Well, then something happens. Something intervenes to bring us away from that position of orientation, and we call that disorientation, right? Something, you know, of some moment of suffering, some. Uh, event, uh, some insight into, you know, what is actually going on. You know, we realize there's poverty, there's suffering, there's abuse, there's, you know, struggle. And that puts us in a position of needing um, redemption, you know, needing God's love and care and presence, you know, amidst us and looking, you know, to some sort of move, you know, back towards wholeness. And when we do finally make that move, and it's God's initiative, and it's our cooperation with God's initiative that allows that to happen, we don't kind of just return to the first point. It's the reason it's a you and not like a, I don't know, a you know, up and down bar. Uh, it's not just ascending and descending on the in the same spot, but it's it's a it's a U shape because it moves on to a new place of of awareness. So it's reorientation rather than just orientation, and it's about new insight and wisdom and awareness of what can go wrong, but 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 ultimately having this greater amount of faith in God's covenant love and protection because he's brought us through and continues to bring us through, um, you know, the, the trials and temptations, you know, of life. It's what we were saying in the very beginning of this whole series about the opening Psalm and create of creation and so forth. Well, creation is not just this one moment from which you fall uh, and then will eventually be restored. It's an ongoing activity of God. And so the reorientation is, is kind of a, cooperation and understanding of God's ongoing interaction in creative power and redemptive power, you know, in the world. So it comes with a lot more insight and understanding. I mean, a kind of classic story in the Bible that represents this U-shape would be Job, right? He starts off wealthy and all's well, big family, you know, and 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 the the devil, you know, Satan who goes to God says, you know, the reason he's so faithful is he hasn't had anything to suffer about. So as soon as we put anything in his path, we know he'll no longer be faithful. Well, and that's the whole kind of um story of Job, you know, that thing, bad things happen to him, but he remains in faithful relationship with God, questioning, yes, doubting, debating like the Psalms do, but still in relationship with God. And then when it ends and he's restored, it's with a greater amount of wisdom and, and hope and understanding because he's been through, you know, the wars by that point. So that's mm. that kind of U shape. So you know, very definitely we're starting this psalm, you know, on, on the downward descent of that U pattern, but it doesn't end there, you know, right? It comes up at the end, which is what we can maybe talk about now. Right. Like, it, so, you know, in the middle, right in the middle of a psalm is where it says, no refuge remains for me. No one cares for me. Right. So that, that, that is almost the, um, the, the middle pit, right? Mm -hmm. The very center of the psalm, the line is, no one cares for me. In the translation we use at our church at St. Maria's here in Hamilton, it's uh, no one cares for my soul, mm -hmm. right? It's just, it's an abandoned thing. 
Yeah, but and, and it's total isolation, total abandonment. It's 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 the individual that feels like everything is against them, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and that's key that it it is this kind of level of isolation and individual experience because the movement beyond that is going to be quite different. And then it it you start to get the slight hint of the upward motion again because the next verse is I cry to the Lord. I say, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Give heed, give heed to my cry, for I am brought very low. This kind of call. Um, but then the final couple verses is I, I don't necessarily think it gets up to that top of the U of that reorientation, but it's definitely in that trajectory. Uh, Save me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison so that so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Yeah, so uh, in, often the the end point of the you, I mean it can the psalm can start and stop at any point on that on that line. But you know, with probably only one possible exception it's always on the upward trajectory as you say but but here i mean the the way it goes from isolation abandonment the feeling that there is no one there is no one right but to to end with the righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me that's a statement of real wisdom and faith and hope and it's no longer isolation or abandonment the righteous will surround me. I will be in the company of the faithful. I will be back restored to the wholeness of a community that lives and worships in the presence, you know, of God. And so uh, very clearly the, the contrast is set, not just suffering and then end of suffering, but it's from isolation back into wholeness of community. And so that's very often, you know, where you see that, that kind of new insight. Part of the problem of the beginning, it may be, was in the naive faith of thinking, I can do this on my own, right? And then when suffering hits, then all, you know, uh, all the, 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 the confidence that we had in ourselves disappears. And that's where a lot of the, the kind of laments, you know, will situate themselves. Whereas the return to wholeness is always a return to, you know, the community. It could even be to the, the community worship in Zion, to the temple. There's imagery of, of, around that. Here, the righteous surrounding the, the person who is currently in isolation, you know, knowing that he's going to be back in, in community. So... The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public aspect of our overall project. For those interested, we actively post new episodes on our private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate, discuss, and disagree about open and sometimes controversial theological questions. To get access to these episodes and to join our online community, you can become a patron of the show. We can only continue this work through the generous financial support of our listeners. To become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom and select which tier of support you wish. Again, that's patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. And now back to the show. Yeah, so in Psalm 140, we had this theme of making sure that we do kind of associate with the right people, um, uh, making sure that we surround ourselves with with um, godly people and things of that sort. In the second Psalm of the Lamplighting Psalms, which is Psalm 141, we have this deep cry um, from 
perhaps like the pit uh, of our own uh, existence even. No one cares for me, but I cry to the Lord and the righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. Uh, and then we have the third Psalm of the Lamplighting Psalms, which is Psalm 129, which uh, I guess I should have asked you, Father Jeffrey, did you want to say any more about those first two Psalms before I move on? No, I think, you know, we've encapsulated them well enough. We can maybe keep referring back to them as we move to the, sure. the last two here, because they do hold together in an interesting pattern, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're, they're, they were carefully chosen for, for this yeah. moment in the service. Yeah, so the first two Psalms, as was mentioned before, 140 and 141, uh, are one after another in, in the actual book of Psalms in the Bible. This one, we skip ahead, to, sorry, we skip backwards mm -hmm. to Psalm 129. So uh, here it is. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch in the morning, more than those who watch in the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Uh, this one definitely has more of a watchful feel, the two repetitions, more than those who watch for the morning. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this is a psalm kind of of waiting, right? This is um, this is the, the attending upon the Lord, and it's actually part of a series of psalms called the Songs of Ascent, uh, which is a title kind of given to fifteen of the psalms in, in a row, that from one nineteen up to one thirty three, um, and so we're getting towards the end of those, and those are called Songs of Ascent pretty much because it's thought that um, they were sung by worshipers uh, as they went on the road to Jerusalem up to the, the pilgrim festivals, you know, for, in a, at the temple. So they would be sung by the Levites as people are kind of going up. So why are you going up to the temple? What, why are you making that journey? Uh, you know, that's what these Psalms tend to answer. Well, here the, the psalmist is waiting for something, some kind of redemption. And that's associated with, um, you know, going up you know, the mount to the temple and watching for that redemption of God to happen. And how wonderful is that to, to actually expect, you know, something to happen when we go to church, you know? So I think it, it, these are, these are marvelous Psalms and we, we use them a lot in, um, in our uh, liturgical tradition There's even a part of the Matin service, which we'll get to eventually um, called the hymns of degrees. Well, it's, it refers to the same thing, songs of ascent. So they, those are hymns that were composed on the basis, uh, you know, of these Psalms. But what's interesting here is again, we have this move from the I to the we. Right. So the, the cry out of the depths. So there's a hint that there was a, a kind of pit, you know, the, the, of that U shape. Uh, again, it's an I. I cry to you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice, which reminds us back, you know, of the beginning of uh, the, the evening Psalms, Psalm 140, right? About crying to the Lord and the Lord hearing the voice. And then this confession of faith in God as the one who can forgive, you know, who is faithful, uh, who, you know, who, who is filled with steadfast love and so forth. So as part of this waiting is a recognition, a reminder of who God is, what his character is. But notice the end is back to the we, right? Um, oh, Israel. So it moves from being 
I to the whole people, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Not it's no longer just about me. You know, I'm I'm joining together with all of these other worshipers who are ascending up to Zion, coming into the presence of God. We're going to wait upon God and God will deliver us. You know, it started with I cried, but God will deliver us. Um, so as, you know, many of the church fathers, you know, will suggest it's, you know, we are never saved alone. Right. So this is a beautiful, uh, you know, movement from, from again, that isolation individual kind of way of thinking into a more community, uh, the worshiping community, the covenant, you know, mm-hmm. faith family of God coming together at that end there. I'm also picking up, um, maybe a little bit of a hidden motif of light here, um, in verses, um, Six, five and six there. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. This this poetic image of those people who are sitting waiting for the sun to rise, right? And And my soul waits for the Lord more than even those people. Yeah. So uh, you could argue that the Psalms that were chosen at this point, you know, we're talking about this is where the night is closing in. Remember, the, the Vespers should be served, ideally, in such a way that when Fosilaon, the gladsome light hymn, is sung, and all the lamps have by that point been lit, then the last ray of the setting sun should kind of fall behind the hills. Um, so... So that the, and we'll talk about that, about the, the evening light being, you know, Christ. So the real light is the light that the Lord brings. You know, we're, we're lighting these lamps to remind us of that light. And that light is only, you know, the, 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 the symbolism of the, the dark coming in and then the light returning in the morning is only a kind of sacramental reminder of that true light. Right. So we heard back at the beginning of the first psalm about, um, you know, the evening sacrifice. Well, you can argue, you know, these psalms are just picked because they happen to mention the time of day that it is. Right. Uh, and so um, there's an evening sacrifice in the temple and, and so forth. So the, the psalmist refers to that. So we'll plunk that. The, the psalm in here. And here, of course, there's the waiting for the morning. So it, it's one that you would do in the evening. But actually, it works really well together with that theme of the whole service being up centered on the light that God brings, right? So, um, you know, the, we're making this evening sacrifice. We're coming together. We're lighting the lamps. We're going to eventually sing this hymn of the light. But the real light that we're talking about is the light that the Lord is. So there, there are people waiting for the sun to rise again, but I'm attending the, 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 the waiting that I'm doing here in this waiting for divine redemption is a waiting for that light of God that is going to be manifested, um, in the presence of not me, myself alone, but the whole worshiping community. That's what it means to come together to worship is to receive the light of of Christ. And of course, the whole of the, you know, vigil service, Vespers and Matins put together is going to be about that rebirth, you know, of light, because of course, the whole service should end with the light rising. And we give thanks to God for the for showing us the light. But of course, by that point, we know, you know, full well, the light is God himself. And the sun is only like a, a, a secondary symbol or sign of the true light, because that's what the whole service has taught us. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm seeing uh, taking that tool of of the you right like um, so 
applying that to these psalms, in the last psalm, we saw that we kind of hit the bottom, right? No one cares for me. But then you get this, um, the righteous will surround me. You will deal bountifully with me, this upwards motion. And I think we're getting much more of an upwards motion here. So we start off with, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Past tense. I mean, in a right, way, right? right? I mean, I, um, we've, we've moved, you know, beyond, uh, you know, where we've come because I've, I've out of the depths, right? I've, I've, and remember, these are songs of ascents. So it's almost like I remember where I've been and I've come and I'm coming crying to you, O Lord, right? So there's this kind of past sense in which we're no longer right there. And then we have this movement, uh, if you would mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand, but there's forgiveness with you. Right, and and you start having this upward upward motion there. Mm. Uh, my soul waits more than those who wait for the morning. Right, this this longing, and then finally in verse seven and eight, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is great power to redeem. It is He who will redeem Israel from all its its iniquities, and we have this um, we have this um, this understanding of the forgiveness we've received from the Lord. Right, it it's it's a it, it's not a naive look at who God is. It's it's looking at our existence and understanding our sins and our iniquities, but also understanding them in the sense that God has God deals mercifully with us. Yeah, I mean, and I think one of the keys to that, obviously, is the recognition, uh, which isn't always present, you know, in the Psalms um, or indeed in. You know, Book of Job or any part in the scriptures, but but here, I mean, certainly something that the prophets will emphasize, and that is that what's happening to us may, in some way, you know, if we're self-aware, have something to do with our own kind of sinfulness, right? That that it's our own, um, you know, we've kind of brought ourselves at least to, you know, it's not that every external circumstance is is caused by you know our own weakness or sinfulness, but but our response to it hasn't helped, right? And that maybe the depths that we've plumbed as a result are at least partly to do with the the thing, with something in, in us. And therefore, what we need is not just simply God's kind of external intervention to get rid of the thing that's afflicting us, right? But that it actually, it requires God's forgiveness and his steadfast love towards us. So there's, I mean, that's where I, I, I do sense, you know, as you say, there's, this is less naive. The really naive position is always to say, well, the really naive position is to say everything is fine. The second naive position is to follow it up with, okay, not everything's fine, but it's nothing to do with me. It's all this stuff that's happening to me. God, take it away, right? The third position, which is a little bit more sophisticated and spiritually aware is, Okay, stuff happens, but I haven't been that great, and I haven't, I, I haven't necessarily responded to it in quite the way I ought to have, right? And and it's made things worse for me, for others. I've maybe actually been part of the problem and not part of the solution. You know, I've participated in 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 all of that, and that's where you know we, I, I make sure I'm part of the right crowd and not the, the the bad one and the right crowd are those who aren't going around hurting each other and, and so forth so so here this this acceptance of, for, of forgiveness and 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 you know emphasis of faith in god's forgiveness comes with this greater kind of understanding that it's not just stuff that the bad people are doing to the good people there is actually a kind of complicity 
in the way that we we've behaved. And of course, that's a that's something that we reflect all the time in in, in the church. You know, where we ask forgiveness of, of one another, including of people we've never met. You know, on Forgiveness Sunday and, and other times when you know we we acknowledge that our own. Uh, life has meant that we've kind of been involved in the, you know, the, the wider problems of the world that, that are the afflictions that we've experienced. And then finally, we come to Psalm 116, the shortest psalm, uh, just uh, two mere verses, uh, which cap off the, uh, the last of the uh, lamplighting psalms. So I'll just read it here. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Short, sweet, and to the point. Yeah, and how much of a kind of climax does that offer to this kind of trajectory that we've seen, right? Um, you know, and as I say, these things have maybe been brought together somewhat accidentally because of their references to evening and to waiting for the morning and that sort of thing, but they do work really well together, even if they're not, you know, in, in sequence, you know, within the Psalter um, itself. So this, um, you know, is a beautiful, brief uh, hymn of absolute praise towards God. And notice how we've moved now, not just from the I, right? The the individual I, the suffering I, the isolated I, to the we of the the, the righteous community, the, the worshipers ascending the Mount of Zion together to wait upon God um, together and, and to be in community, to now this kind of global we, you know, all the nations, all the peoples. And now this steadfast love that is again evoked here, um, is a faithfulness that endures forever and ultimately is expressed towards all peoples, right? This is a, a universalist, you know, statement of God's love and forgiveness and care, you know, for the world. It's a, it's a real, you know, I mean, you could argue in a way it, it's, it, you know, just read on its own, you know, if you isolated it from everything else, it could be a very naive statement, right? It could be from that very early part of the you. But cleverly, by putting it here at the culmination of those three other psalms, you can see how we've made this real move from I to the we of, of the, the, the community that is called after the name of God, the covenant community, to now this beautiful expression of the expansive nature of God's love and care for the whole world. No mistake why early Christians like the Apostle Paul are going to latch on to this psalm as a, a, a kind of prophetic expression of what happens in and through the, the incarnation uh, and you know, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, because that is precisely what happens, that what was once offered as redemption to a small ethnically bound community, one family, is now fulfilled in the way that it was promised in the beginning to, to the first, the forefather of that family, Abraham, that all nations, all nations would be blessed. And in Christ, that's what's hap what happens, right? That that forgiveness is proclaimed to all the world. And so, you know, St. Paul will pick up on uh, precisely this verse, you know, in Romans and talk about, 
you know, the way God's love has now been extended, you know, to, to the whole world. But what a beautiful way of, of capping, you know, this movement that we've seen in these songs. There's a lot happening here. You know, we sort of, as I say, you know, we sing the first couple of verses, we skip over a lot of them half the time. Uh, you know, we just s- scatter the rest, the rest as kind of almost like, um, you know, uh, what would you say, like evened out, you know, just verses that go you know go between the hymns of the day and we lose the kind of you know the whole narrative quality of you know the the move that the psalmists are you know making you know across these poems these prayers thanks so much for listening to another episode of enacting the kingdom for bonus episodes and content or if you'd simply like to see this show continue consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom See you next time.